Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. As always, I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robison. For those of you unfamiliar with this show, I typically summarize and review a comic roughly in the span of time it takes to drink a cup of coffee. Sometimes I have more to say about a particular book, but this just means refills on the coffee, and that's nothing bad at all. This time, I've cashed in some frequent flyer miles and brought in my pal from Australia, direct from the Waiting for Doom and DC OCD podcast, Paul Hicks. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, uh, Clinton. Yeah, I'm good. It's uh, yeah, the middle of winter. Yeah. <laughs> I take it you've been reading comics for a while since you, uh, you know, do a couple of podcasts about them. Um, yeah, yeah. Started reading comics in my late. Um, when was it? about eighty-seven around then? So, yeah, but, but a little while now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, for a couple of years, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, good thing this is the Coffee and Comics podcast, not the Cocaine Comics podcast, because, you know, you'd need really short comics for the ones that you could cover in the time it <laughs> takes to, to snort a line. <laughs> hey, welcome to Cocaine and Comics podcast. <laughs> Eight-page backups just wouldn't cut it. <laughs> okay, so since we are here to talk about a comic, we'll talk about one featuring Paul's favorite member of the Doom Patrol, Batman. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, how did we come to pick this comic? We, I think we, we wanted to talk about something, and we just started suggesting things, and this one was, we both went, oh yeah, that sounds all right. So, yeah, um, we've got a Batman Legends of the Dark Knight issue, So, uh, but not just any old issue. This is 214, which is the very, very, very last issue of uh, Legends of the Dark So after this one, no more. Yeah, and, geez, you know, 214 issues. This is an era when, if things run 50 issues, we think they've been around forever. Well, this has got Batman, so um, Batman's a seller. I mean, all right. Remember the series came out? Did you um, were you at the very beginning of this run? Or? I was collecting when it came out, but Legends of the Dark Knight was always out of my price range at the time. And then I, by the time oh. though I really had a more disposable funds, it was kind of like, well, you know, they're they're so far into it. I think I'll read something else. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was there at the very beginning, and I think I picked the cover with the the blue over cover because they just basically stuck on different coloured covers over the a first issue. Um, and you know, it was a good book. It started off with I think Denny O'Neill did the first arc, and then it was Grant Morrison did the second, and uh, it went it went on fair with just rotating teams. And uh, 
somewhere along the lines, I mean, I, I thought this was a big mistake for the title, but they started to, you know, chuck it into the crossovers they were doing. So suddenly there were issues that were tied into Nightfall and, you know, et cetera, and things like that. And that, you know, did it with Legacy and Contagion or whatever else was coming down the pipeline, No Man's Land, et cetera. So I thought that was a real mistake for the book. Like, I think it was going off its mission statement at that point. Um, but, I mean, by the time it ended, it was, I think they were just getting rid of inventory stories that they had built up. But that doesn't mean they're bad, particularly. Like no, this one. no, definitely not. So, before we just, you know, spoil everything, we could just actually synopsize this before we <laughs> let everybody know how much we love it. Okay. I mean, you so, can look at yeah. the yeah, you can look at the ta- the cover and tell we're probably going to love this anyway because, I mean, it, it's a dead shot issue. <laughs> yeah, Batman vs. Deadshot is, uh, is the selling point of this one, and it's written by Christos Gage and Phil Winslade. So, uh, um, Phil Winslade, I mean, his art seems really familiar to me, but I was like, where do I know him from? And I looked through my collection and worked out there's just a couple of things. Like, uh, He did a miniseries with um, Steve Gerber under Vertigo called Nevada, which was... Um, Sort of a really loose spin-off of Howard the Duck about a showgirl with an ostrich, um, and it's very weird, but has really good art. Um, and I think he did something with Garth Ennis called Goddess, which um, I remember. I saw the first issue and it just freaked me out because it seemed extremely violent and uh, weird. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, he's not a name that I've I've read a lot of stuff of. Um, just I've seen his art a lot of, but uh, here this is fantastic. So yeah, it's. Um, it's Deadshot versus Batman, uh, but man, it's dense. Like on some, I think some pages he has like fifteen panels, and then he calms down a bit and does a dozen. <laughs> it's really dense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, uh, you, you want to take us the, through the yeah. first bit of it? Yep. Uh, the story is called Superstitious and Cowardly, as you said. It's written by Christos Engage, uh, pencils and inks by Phil Winslade. Letters by Phil Balsman. Colors by Mike Etchier. Why do I always get these names? Associate Editor <laughs> Michael Wright. And Editor Joey Cavalieri. I can't even say his name. Joey Cavalieri. Cavalieri. Yeah. Yep. There's too many vowels in there for me. <laughs> Sorry. Can you do, uh, say, Christos Engage in uh, Captain Picard voice? <laughs> Christos Engage! There you go. <laughs> um, sorry. As you were. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. I, I do terrible impersonations. We need Chris Franklin on here. <laughs> All right. Inside a Gotham City high-rise, Leland Lindsay is arguing with his current paramour about his options. Testify against his boss or do what he assumes would be a short prison sentence and then come right back out to rake in some more money. He's determined to just do the jail time, since he figures testifying will pretty much secure him being dead. After a certain costume crime fighter comes in, we realize there are other plans in the works. Batman drops Lindsay out the window of his apartment, stopping him mere inches from the streets below. Lindsay promises to testify while under Batman's protection, and Batman promises that he will be watching. Days later, we see several armed guards escorting Lindsay into the Gotham City Courthouse. Lindsay's boss, Mr. Morrill, 
pun intended maybe, informs us it's been <laughs> impossible to get to Lindsay through all the guards, but he's managed to bring in a ringer. On a building across the street, we see Deadshot taking aim at Lindsay just in time for a batarang to crash through the gun sight. Deadshot gets off a few quick shots into Batman's chest before the Cape Crusader falls on top of him. Of course, Batman is wearing body armor and manages to take out Deadshot's remaining guns as he recovers. Batman and Deadshot have a... discussion about what is and isn't legal and what is and isn't a attempted murder. However, it seems that Deadshot planned this encounter as he has made it obvious for the crowd below to see them and guess what they are doing. Later that night, Batman meets with Jim Gordon, who informs Batman that Lindsay now refuses to testify due to fear of Deadshot. Another meeting between Lindsay and Batman lets us know that while Lindsay is afraid of Batman, he's absolutely terrified of what Deadshot does. He doesn't feel there is any way Batman can provide the protection and lifelong safety needed to eliminate the fear of Deadshot. Paul, I'll let you take the rest from here. Uh, Explains to Alfred that Deadshot doesn't have the similar background that they share as sons of wealth, but Alfred disagrees on the similarities based on what he's heard on the butler chatter. Floyd's family was really messed up. Bruce agrees based on what he read in the Suicide Squad files that he's hacked. When he... Floyd's bitter mother recruited him and his brother to kill their father, but Floyd's attempt to stop his brother inadvertently caused the brother's death. From there, he grew up to have a death wish and made a living as a cynical yet cruel assassin deadshot. A man like that has little to fear that Batman can lean on. Later, Batman confronts Deadshot at a SWAT-style shooting range that the killer has rented. Batman shows Floyd photos of the, his woman and his daughter and the daughter that he has and he offers floyd to extend to them the protection that the jla's loved ones enjoyed floyd declines and then burns the photo pointing a gun in batman's face batman point points out that he is unable to kill him deep down floyd doesn't want batman dead and batman if deadshot drops the lindsay contract batman will tell him and deadshot will be able to overcome that flaw again deadshot declines back again in the cave his lack of ability to dissuade deadshot Alfred suggests offering him more money, but Bruce says that would violate his professional code. He always completes the job he's paid for. He lingers on the words, paid for, then makes a quick call to Commissioner. He tells him Andy testify. The next day at the courthouse, he is let in all the thing that he won't talk. Batman finds him a hitman, half before the job and half after. He said a smart freelancer would make sure that the client has a fun his assets frozen well he doesn't work for nothing no payment no deal with Lindsay now out of immediate danger the DA explains how he benefits from going into witness protection as possible or live with the alternative of sharing a prison yard with him Lindsay agrees to testify at night on the roof Batman and Deadshot talk Making Deadshot choose between giving Batman what he wanted or losing his professional reputation was a smart play. Batman warns him about continuing the path his parents put him on. Deadshot points a risk in his face and tells him to get the hell out of here. Batman massively stares at the man behind the barrel, then leaves, telling Floyd that he'll be watching him. As Batman swings away, Deadshot says, right back at you, pal, right back at you. Okay. 
And with that stunning conclusion, we'll take a quick promo break and come back with some thoughts on this issue. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfenstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events, as in the comic books. DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So, maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What? What, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. And we're back. Paul, I gotta thank you for suggesting this issue. I'd never read it before, and I must say I've been doing myself a disservice by not having done so. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love Deadshot, and, um, you know, he's such a great character. He's, I think he's got the best-looking comics after The Flash. Um, you know, and I, I love his classic costume. Where, I mean, just where it's a cloth mask with the eyepiece, and he, he's all red and white. I mean, it's so impractical for an assassin, but it just makes him cooler because he makes it work. You know, mm. you know, you know, as goofy as he looks, he's deadly, and, um, you know, it, it speaks to his extreme competence. Um, you know, but... As far as where the character, you know, the characterization and all the strengths of that, I mean, it all goes back to John Ostrander's work in the Suicide Squad. And, you know, you know, he picked characters that didn't really have, you know, fleshed out personalities and he was able to, you know, use them. And, you know, the fact that, Bat, you know, Batman was never killed by Deadshot and he's meant to be this fantastic assassin and, and marksman and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, Ostrander looked at that and said, well, maybe that's um, psychological. And, you know, he created this really interesting aspect of the character that you know deep down he he can't kill batman because of you know he knows he shouldn't and he knows he's in the wrong um so yeah but i, lo I love deadshot's baggage <laughs> you know the fact that you know he's so damaged <laughs> you know and the fact that he spends most of the suicide squad series with a death wish you know not caring if he makes it through the missions and you know that's quite a interesting you know thing to have on a on a team where you know the chance of dying is high. Yeah, and um, you're talking about all his baggage and stuff. Uh, 
the the part about him killing his brother is this is this the first time we see this or was that discussed in Suicide Squad somewhere? Uh, there was a Deadshot mini back in I think eighty eight or eighty nine. No, eighty eight I think, uh, which basically did four issues explored. He's uh, you know he went home and you just saw how uh, terrible his family were. Um, yeah, but that was part of the backstory introduced in that. And then a few years later, there was another mini series um, by I think it was by Christos Gage again, and he explored Deadshot's. Um, he uh, you know he has a an ex girlfriend who has a, a child to him and you know that was part of it he she was basically living in a really bad part of town and he decided to you know sort of move all the drug dealers along and everything and then you know there was a lot of pushback so that was a really good little story so you know that sort of gave him something personal to fight for but uh yeah one of the things that's always evolving with Deadshot which I'm you know I think it's at an all-time low now is the look of his costume and I, I personally I think the more armored and cool he looks you know, the less, you know, unique the character is. I mean, he starts to look like a Halo character instead of a, you know, a Batman villain. But when you think about Deadshot, I mean, the amazing thing about him is I think he's the only Batman villain to ever really escape, the, you know, the, the pull of those books and become his own character out, out in the world. So, yeah, I, I, I really admire that about the character. And I think, you know, everyone else is sort of contextualized by batman but he he stands alone now because he's spent so much time being explored in books like suicide squad and secret six so yeah you know i hadn't really thought about that but yeah he yeah. Like you said he's the bat villain who isn't tied to batman all the time or when he is it's, it's yeah. stories I mean, like this yeah but i mean mostly he has far more stories on out with other teams and doing mm-hmm. different things and uh yeah but yeah what a great character and uh yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't really want to get much into the Suicide Squad movie, but I, I don't think the character was done justice in that book. I don't think the team would, I mean, in that movie, and I don't think the team was either. Um, but, I mean, one of the things that's really great about the Suicide Squad is the whole premise of them is they can do the missions that can be disavowed by the government. So you send them in to do dirty work, you send them in to do assassinations, you send them in to, you know, do domestic you know, plans that the government can't admit to. So there's no point having them fight a world-ending threat, a threat like they did in the movie. You know, that's what Superman fights. You know, you don't send the covert team in to fight, you know, the goddess who's about to destroy the world, mm. you know, even if it is their fault indirectly. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, nah, terrible movie. Sorry. Um, you know, nothing against Will Smith playing Deadshot, but, you know, that wasn't, uh, the dead shot that I recognized. I mean, he, you know, he could play that character, but that wasn't the character that he got to play. So, yeah, yeah. which is I, a pity. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the dead shot costume in that, though. It looked about as accurate as we're going to get from one of those movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind it seeing it, you know, detect a bit and just, you know, mm-hmm. have an eye, eyepiece, the wrist guns. I mean, they make no sense at all as weapons and, you know, functionality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, they look great, you know, and I find it really hard to go past a Deadshot action figure or Lego figure. I mean, every time I see something like that, it's like, oh, ooh, I need to have that. <laughs> Plus, you know, you can't tell yourself, well, this might be the last time they do one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But back to this issue. Um, the story, I really thought it was well done. The, 
you know, the whole thing about getting somebody to testify and everything. This is this is the kind of stuff I would like to see out of Batman more often. Yeah, just him, you know, dealing with one, you know, a problem. You know, how do you solve this? You've got an assassin who's scaring the witness. Even if you get rid of the assassin, the witness is still scared. What are you going to do? And, you know, it comes down to a very, um, you know, a logical resolution that Batman basically outwits uh, Deadshot by, you know, putting him in a situation where his assassin code can't let him fulfill the contract because he's not getting paid. Right. And and this isn't, you know, the Bat God, the Uber Bat, whatever you want to call him. He didn't, you know, outthink Deadshot three weeks ago before Deadshot even showed up. You know, yeah. He, you know, he had to evolve with the story. Yeah. This is the Batman who sits in the Batcave, you know, <laughs> complaining about his problems to Alfred yeah. and trying to work it out. <laughs> Alfred, they won't let me play the way I want to. I want to take my batarangs <laughs> and go home. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's a great story, great little issue, you know, done in one, you know, I was really glad to see the series end with such a strong issue, so, and the art's remarkable, it's incredibly detailed, it's, um, reminds me a lot of, sort of, uh, Phil Jimenez, you know, a little bit of George Perez, probably Chris Weston, there's a, a lot of that sort of style in there, where it's, you know, very detailed, you're getting, you know, every single, you know, brick done in the background and every single you know window is different etc there's no shortcuts in it at all um you know there's even some you know hand-drawn sort of pencil sketches in the middle when they're looking at photos and things like that yeah really good yeah yeah and i mean i I really like the way they draw deadshot i don't think he's been done this well since like back in the suicide squad days yeah, yeah. I mean, he got a bit of a good at outing in um, Identity Crisis, you know, in, mm. here and there. But um, yeah, this is yeah, this is the Deadshot I like seeing, and um, he's a bit scarce these days. Yeah. <laughs> now, as far as the art on the cover, uh, I'm sure this is much more an American thing than yours, you know, an Australian. But um, when they show a young Deadshot on the cover with that gun, all I can think is Opie Taylor's getting ready to gun down somebody in Mayberry. <laughs> right, yeah, no, that's very American. No. <laughs> yeah. We had, well, what did we have? I don't, I don't, we had some American shows, but I don't remember all of them. And, you know, some that obviously resonate much more with you guys than they did over here. But, I mean, we, I think at best we had three channels that showed different shows. And so we really got a very narrow view of, you know, they were very picky about the American shows we got and they definitely picked ones that they thought would have the most popular appeal. So, well, I'm sure you got more American shows than we got Australian. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of British shows too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Australian TV is, um, it's probably not quite taste back in the 70s and the 80s, but there you go. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, back to the issue, when they bring up Floyd's daughter, uh, it was kind of interesting how he just shrugged that off. Most people you know, usually play that up to be his big Achilles heel, you know. Because like, no, if you know three things about Deadshot, it's that you know, he's, he's an assassin, he has that little thing over his eye, and he's got a daughter. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, Batman says, I found out about your daughter, and this is a weakness that can be exploited and he basically just says well I now I know that it can be exploited 
the security on it, so thanks. You know, mm. but I don't need your help with that. <laughs> you know, and he know, also knows Batman has a code. No, Batman's, you know, he can't threaten his daughter. Batman just doesn't roll that way. Mm-hmm. Do we have anything else to say about this issue? Um, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to see Christoph. I'd like to see more writing by Christos Gage in the DC universe. I know he's done some good stuff in the Marvel universe, but uh, yeah, he's he, he's he he doesn't have the flashiness that'll make him a megastar, but he's solid. Like he writes good, solid stories, and he knows his DC universe. Like he, you know, when he did that Deadshot miniseries, all the minor villains that he introduced were were all you know handpicked from the history of the suicide squad and it was you know you really had to care about it to do it that way and you know say okay let's have this minor villain that minor villain uh, mm. everything so yeah it was very cool stuff and you know but this is a perfect done in one and um i think it was collected in the deadshot bulletproof trade um as well which uh yeah uh, it's good that it's got a line i mean that's the best thing about about the Suicide Squad movie was we got more uh, Suicide Squad trades. <laughs> <laughs> Very best thing about it. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, if we've said our piece on this issue, we'll take another quick promo break. And Paul, since you are a first-time guest, you get to come back for the lovely quiz. Have you ever wanted to be more than you are? Are you worried your full potential isn't enough? Ever wonder if finding that out is worth your soul? Best Event Ever is back for 2018 with DC's 1995 event, Underworld Unleashed. Several blogs and podcasts are coming together to examine the effects these questions have on the heroes and villains of the DC Universe. Join On the Gun, Justice Trek, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, The Idlehead of Diablo, and Relatively Geeky, among others, as they examine the effects these questions have on characters like Star Sapphire, Green Lantern, Lex Luthor, The Ray, and The Cheetah. Follow them all using hashtag BestEventEver2018 and hashtag UnderworldReUnleashed across social media all throughout October. Go ahead. Blow out that candle. Neron is waiting. Welcome back again. I am here with Paul, who will take the lovely Coffee and Comics quiz. The most dreaded part of every guest's experience on this show, I'm sure. So, so Paul. Right, I'm ready. I'm ready. All righty. Question one. What do you consider your beverage of choice? Um, well, probably it's too late. I'm already on the show, but I don't know. Um, so and for a long time I did have a uh, cola addiction, but I have basically stopped drinking cola now. Um, so I, uh, beverage of choice is less important than it used to be. But I do have a tea every day at work, just because it gives me like a five-minute respite from whatever I'm doing, and I get to go to the kitchen with my colleagues and you know brew and come <laughs> back, and you know I put a lot of. So. All right. Question two. <laughs> Betty or Veronica? Um, 
Well, probably Betty. I, I'm, I like brunettes better. So, but, uh, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. It's to say Betty. Yes. Okay. All right. Question three. Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X-Men? Uh, can I have a, a different option? Can I, is there an option C? Because, I mean, I, I think I, I really liked Wolfman Perez Titans when I was younger, but um, harder and harder to get now. Wordy and Miller. And uh, I really read in the X-Men classic era. So I did a bit of Jim Lee, Claremont, X-Men. But, um, yeah, I never really took. So is there a third option? Uh, otherwise, I'll just have to say Titans by default. But yeah, uh, we'll just assume your third option is Doom Patrol. <laughs> Brilliant, thanks. In the Burn Era, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, well, question four: Which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live-action adaptation? Oh. Um... I'd love to see a live-action version of Starman, the Jack Knight Starman set in Noble City with with uh, Solomon Grundy and uh, Mikhail, the alien, and his dad, and fighting the mist and having the show. I think that would be fantastic. And all the O'Dare cops, that that would be um, yeah, a perfect TV show. Uh, the, yeah, it's such a, a rich series, and it, it is kind of grounded. So, yeah, I think it'd be very good on TV, and I'd like to see it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, number five, villain most in need of decaf. <laughs> um, um, I'd say the Green Goblin. He, he's always very manic and probably needs to calm down a bit. You know, he, uh, as a schemer, you know, the maniacal cackling isn't isn't good. <laughs> okay. Uh, question six: Who is the best super pet? Oh, um, I guess I'd have to say Crip because it, it's a dog, but it can fly, and that's cool. And it's very obviously well trained, which is different to my dogs. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, an untrained crypto would be terrifying. Okay. Question seven: Can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Mighty Man seems to defy a few more laws than uh, George Reeves' Superman does. Okay. And the final question. A lifetime supply of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Well, I think I'm already living with the highly expensive comics without the favor. So I would, I'll flip that and say that I'd rather have... Um, a lifetime supply of cheap comics and uh, Dr. Doom is uh, out to get me, but I live on the other side of the world in a tiny town. So uh, he, I don't know if he'd ever bother coming all the way out here to get me. So, but um, yeah, as someone who never ever sees dollar boxes or quarter bins or any of that stuff, um, I think I'd just have to take the chance. All righty. Sounds like the most succinct answers I've had in a long time on here. Paul, I do appreciate you being on the show. <laughs> Is there, oh, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. And for those out there who have no idea where to find Paul, he's in Australia. Duh. But uh, 
sorry, if they want to find you on the internet, Paul, where else could they come across you? Um, well, I'm mostly on Twitter. That's that's where I'm very comfortable and uh, been there for quite a few years. So I'm there as reading underscore Hicks, H-I-X. And um, if you want to find our shows, there's one called Waiting for Doom, which is the Doom Patrol one. And there's DCOCD, which is about the DC events, where we're doing every single DC event in order from Crisis on Infinite Earths on up. And we're scoring them. So and you've participated in one of those already, I believe. So. Yes, the... Highly underscored Armageddon 2001. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're rolling those out still, and we're probably going to go uh, for as long as they're doing events or till we overtake them at some point. But, um, yeah, there's some good stuff coming, and there's some terrible stuff coming. But <laughs> it's all fun. All right. Well, once again, I do thank you for being on here with me, Paul. It was always a pleasure. Hey. Thanks, Clinton. It was great. All right, and while Paul gets sent back to Australia, I'm going to take one more quick promo break and be back with listener feedback. Night falls on the Crate Halls of Frenzywood. Chris and Jerry read this week's comics with a sense of terror and foreboding. Which books will they enjoy and which will unsettle them with an eerie mood striking into their very souls? They work their way through the rare and mysterious tomes to find those worthy of your attention. A knock comes to the door, bringing something strange and otherworldly that no one has ever seen before. It's the, the Professor, Professor Frenzy, Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. If you like indie comics and also like podcasts, please try the Professor Frenzy Show. Find the show in iTunes search and Facebook. Episodes tweeted out on at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. Thank you. Welcome back. Just as a reminder, last episode, Professor Allen and I went over Super Team Family. And last episode got Twitter favorites and retweets from Scott X, Lost in Time, Alan Middleton, Relatively Geeky Network, Long Box of Darkness, Kirk at Work with Kirk, Telly Chavales, Cristatos, Adjacent Culture, Long Box Crusade, Slangword Scott, Collected Edition, Weasel Skull, Robert Ludwig, Wolfgang Van Holland, Law Dog, RPG Historian, Secret Wars and Beyond, Doug Zavisha, Between the Pages, Paul Hicks, Movie Mad Matt, Joe Crawford, Luke Giaconetti, The Grey Geek, The Uncanny Abel Padzia, Lost in Time, Baron von Ermo, and Flash at Mendez 02158416. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Gene Hendricks, Al Sedano, Nicholas Prom, Jerry Green, Mike Peacock, Alan Middleton, Jonathan Schaefer Hames, Derek William Crabb, Pat Sampson, and Ruth and Darren Sutherland. We also got a little bit of direct feedback on the episode. On Twitter, Longbox of Darkness says, 
I really enjoyed your super team family discussion with Professor Allen. Angry little Adam. Hal and Katar playing strip poker. Superpower Gene Loring. Fun episode. Well, thanks, Herman. I appreciate that. And we also got feedback from Sean Ross of Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Sean says, excellent episode of Coffee and Comics. I haven't read the issue, but you made me feel like I was there on this crazy journey. Also, I have a philosophical question. Is Gene Loring the platonic ideal of, quote-unquote, the worst? Yes. All right, so that looks like it will do it. Thank you so much for tuning in and keeping with us. Hopefully you will come back and join me for another episode. And just remember, this is where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. Cool.